Welcome to the Warrior Razor Podcast. My name is Elliot Johnson. On today's episode, my mom will be telling the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. Keep your head up, marching on. Don't another stand. Good morning. Today's lesson I'm bringing to you from Luke chapter seven. I just want to give you a little insight as to what even clued me into talking about this with you guys today. I was doing some chores around the house and I had my playlist in the background going and a song from 1999, C.C. Winans, The Alabaster Box came on and it just made me stop and pause and just to really soak up the words that she was singing. And she references Mary in the song and in Luke chapter seven specifically, the woman is not named and there's still some debate as to whether this was Mary of Magdala or the similar story that we read of Mary and Bethany anointing Jesus's feet. But I don't want to add anything to the text and I don't want to make any assumptions here. So we don't know who she is. But what's important to know is that she had a past, she had a story, and there was redemption. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. And she doesn't seem to have any children. So though she does not have any biological children, I still find her to be quite a warrior because what she did required boldness and bravery and just true, utter humility. And those are a lot of qualities that it takes to be a mighty warrior for the kingdom of heaven. So I want to just read a little bit of the passage, stop, pause, give you some context, and then just really just take it to the the personal level about how we can all relate to this story of redemption. So talks about uh, in verse 36, and it begins with the, the one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. If we pause here and we think about what was going on in the Bible at this time, why this was important, because those leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, those rabbinical uh, uh, Jews of those times that were just really staunch in terms of representing what the history was of their day, they were trying to catch Jesus in his own words. They were trying to make him stumble, say something that would... uh, that they would consider blasphemous because he was causing problems. He was pointing them out for their own uh, hypocrisy and they did not like him. He did, they did not like who was a, what he was about or what he was up to and they wanted him stopped, but he was faultless. He was blameless. They could not find anything. So they were re- routinely and repeatedly trying to get him trapped in his words and he called them out for it. But in this instance, we have a Pharisee inviting Jesus to eat with him. So there's some, there's some thought that they were, that Simon was actually inviting him to, to set him up. And so he enters the, Jesus enters the Pharisee's house and he reclines at the table. And why that's important is we can see that it's, there's banquet style. He's sitting, the, the visual imagery is of Jesus and all of those around the table are leaning and their feet are kind of away from the table. And why that's important is because this woman comes in and she wants to get access to him and specifically his feet. So she could because of the way he was positioned at the table. Going on to verse 37, when a sinful woman from the the town learned that Jesus was dining there, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
Now, sometimes it's said that women would wear these jars, a little flask of, of oil or ointment around their necks, like a necklace with a long neck that would easily be broken. But either way, this she brought it. She came with the intention of bringing this to Jesus. And an alabaster jar of perfume at that time was uh, like a granite or a stone-like material. And in it kept very precious oil uh, that was very expensive for that time. Oftentimes it would have been from a dowry or um, just they, they would have inherited it, but it had value and worth to her. And so verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. So she walks into this room. So just imagine this woman, he's called a sinful, sinful woman. And so when we look up that word, there's, there's some promiscuity, there's some prostitution, there's some just debauchery that's associated with her and her past. So she had uh, a, a sin-stained past, as we all do, but we, they call it out this specifically because she had sold herself probably. She had given up her own purity in that day, and it made her a social outcast and a pariah. So the fact that she goes into this Pharisee's house, this leader of the Jewish uh, religion, she goes into his house. I mean, right then and there, just the condemnation she must have felt, the just the guilt that she must have felt to go in with the purpose of seeking out Jesus, what boldness that took, what bravery that took on her part. And so she goes, and in verse 38, it says, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Here she was, this woman that had given herself so many times over to so many men is in the presence of the most pure man who has ever lived and who ever will and will ever be. And she then begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. Why her hair? Why not the edge of her garment or her arm or her hand or something that would be more easily used to get the oil into his feet? And it's because at that time, the first Corinthians even mentions it, that the, our hair, long hair specifically was considered a woman's glory or her covering. So she uses the most precious thing that is of her person to use that to anoint his feet. And let's pause because feet at that time, we're not nice. We're not clean. We're not something that you would want to just be hanging out or around. And she gets her face down to the level. They were walking in sandals, open-toed shoes, and they walked everywhere. They didn't have vehicles to get from city to city. So his feet were probably, even though he was Jesus, the Messiah, his feet were nasty probably and dust covered and just grind. I mean, just you get the picture. Feet kind of gross me out in general. But so that's what she does. She gets down to the level of his feet, washes them with her tears and wipes them, uses this precious anointing oil to wipe his feet with her hair. And you just imagine the aroma that filled that room with that offering, her sacrifice, her sacrificial offering of just humility and just sorrowful uh, posture that she came before the Jesus, the most pure person ever to be. And then it says, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, I like this part because he's having this own internal judgment session, this own internal uh, conversation. And some have even thought that he purposefully invited her to trip Jesus up, to catch Jesus in an act that would give them some leverage to have an accusation against him. But he doesn't say this out loud. It says that he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this is and what kind of woman is touching him. 
for she is a sinner. And then verse 40, Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Think about your mom or think about when we talk to our kids. Hey, get over here. I got something to tell you. All three of my kids, if I say either one of their, any one of their names, all three of them will come and, and stop what they're doing and come to my, my attention because they know I, got so, I have something important to tell them. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And then Jesus goes on in verse 41 to give a parable lesson. Two men were debtors to a certain moneylender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay him, he forgave both of them. Which one then will love him more? And Simon answers, verse 43, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And I'm adding this here because he sees her. He saw her. He noticed her. Jesus says, continues to him, when I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, which was customary. You know, they'd been walking around to wash their feet off to enter into a home. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, which was customary at, the, at, the, uh, at that time. But she has not skipping, stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then, he, then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And I think this is such a beautiful reminder that we don't know another person's story. We don't know what they have been redeemed from, what they have come through to where they are today. Facebook, social media, you can look at that and you get a, a picture perfect view or a lens into someone's world. And we don't really know what they've come from or where they, they've journeyed through to get where they are today. And there's this saying that we should never judge a, judge a person by the chapter that we walk in on because we don't know their suffering or their sorrow that they have endured or, in, or been forgiven of. And so it's just a really good reminder that when we think of, when we look on someone, we, we make a mental image of what they are to us in our mind, but we just really never know their, their true story. So ask those good questions, get to know people on a heart level, because who, whom, whomever has been forgiven of more, we've got the capacity to love so much more because we know what we've come through and come from. But then he goes on to tell her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It wasn't her love for him that saved, saved her. It was her faith in him. It was her sorrow. It was her humility. It was her true repentance that, that he was able to forgive her of. And I think that this is important too, that if you have done something that is just shameful in your past, or you've come from something that is just regrettable, or you wish you could go back and turn the hands of time. If Jesus has forgiven you, if you've repented of that, leave it where it is. Yes, it marks you. Yes, it, it has, develops your character. Yes, it changes you, but you don't let, have to let it define you forever and ever. You can use it for your story. You can use it as part of your testimony. You can use it to meet people where they are, find common ground with people. I do that all the time with my personal testimony. Jesus has redeemed me and saved me of so much. I meet people today that I knew back from way back when, and I had to let them know I am not who I once was. I am a different Angela than I am when you knew me 20 some years ago. And that's okay because now they can see the redeeming and the redemption of, the, of Jesus Christ on my life. And I want to make that known because I have been forgiven of so much. And that's why I can just really relate with this woman. There was some stuff on my personal page where people were trying to 
troll my page and get on there and say just really nasty and hateful things about who Jesus is. And you're, that's never going to change my mind because I know what I have been saved from and what Jesus has brought me through to where I am today. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to that song. CC Wine is, Ooh, it's a good one. 1999, the alabaster box. She refers to it as a box. You know, it's translated differently, but most commonly known as a jar. I don't like to get caught up in that. Marry this, marry that. We know that she was a sin-filled woman, woman, a sinful woman who had been redeemed of just so much. And I think that is just a really relatable story. And I love how Jesus gives us these stories because it makes the, the Bible just tangible. It makes us be able to look through the pages of scripture and just say, okay, this isn't just a historical document. This is living, life-giving word that we can apply to where we are right now in our moments, in our day-to-day. And if you mess up, Just know that nothing you can do will separate you from his love. He can't love you any more than he does right now. And he'll never love you less than he does. His love is just so far reaching. But when you have have something that is a hindrance between you and him, you have to come and you have to be repentant of it. You have to be sorrowful of that sin. There was a time in my past where I I would know I would just never have peace. And I would just wake up the next day. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. And then I would just have some days that would kind of be above in between my my wrongdoing and then I'd be like all right so right back at it and that's not true repentance true repentance is a complete turning and walking away from that decision and not doing it willfully yes we screw up every day that's why we are the most in need of a savior because we we do we we are sin filled and we have a flesh that we war against and we battle with all the time it's when we're working in that willful acts of sin. And we know, we know that what we're doing is not correct or right. But when we, we repent of that and we just come before the Lord and just say, you know what? I am broken. I cannot keep doing this anymore. There is no happiness in my behavior. I need you. Jesus is the most happy place to be. I thought I was having fun back when I was living that sin-filled life. I thought I was enjoying myself, but I would just wake up all the time, just remorseful and just so full of regret. And that's not, that's not a way to live. So if that's you right now, you can come to the foot of Jesus and he will wash your sins and he will remove them and he will forget them. And they will cast them. The word says, as far as the East is from the West. And then you can go forth in peace and not live in that shame, not live in that regret, but it just takes you coming to him, takes that boldness, takes that warrior boldness to come into this space where you think all eyes might be on you. And guess what? They might be. That's okay. You live and breathe for an audience of one and he is there to meet you and he is there to redeem you. So take this lesson, go ahead, listen to that song, get your praise on, get your worship on and you will find a forgiving God. You will find a loving savior. He is so much and he is such goodness. So thank you to all of my warrior raisers for listening and go forth and aim those arrows well.